0: Let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we want to learn from you. We want to learn from your word. We ask, Lord, that you, you will open, you will reveal your truth to us. Help us, Lord, to come away from today with a better understanding and knowledge of your word that we might be able to apply it in a relevant way in each of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we continue with our book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. And uh, so far, we've been looking at the origins of many things. We've been looking at the origins of creation, the origins of mankind, the origins of sin. And today, we come to something that is hardly ever preached on. Uh, at least not in most of the sermons that I typically listen to. And that is the, along the same lines, the origins of a series of people. And this is a very exciting piece of literature known as a genealogy. Uh, So a genealogy is a list of names uh, about who was the son of who, who was the son of who, who was the son of who, or if you're more familiar with the King James Version, who beget who, beget who, beget who. Uh, Before I proceed further, I do want to say that if you have read or you have heard of the Genesis genealogies, the the teachings by Reverend Abraham Park, or you've attended a seminar on it, uh, some of what I'm covering today may sound a bit familiar. And that's not because I'm just parroting him. Uh, but in the, the course of my studying of this passage of Genesis chapter 5, I did come to similar conclusions as did you know, quite a few other uh, Bible scholars. But I just wanted to mention this so that you know you don't assume that I'm just plagiarizing his work. Uh, also, if you want to have a deeper look at uh, how you can make sense of the genealogies found in the Bible, do go check out his work. Okay, uh, it, it comes mainly under the banner of HORA Ministries, H-O-R-A. This stands for the History of Redemption of All Nations. Okay, so the work of Reverend Abraham Park. You want to check it out? Go ahead. Okay, let's let's continue with today's message. Now, if you're anything like me when reading the Bible, whenever you come across a genealogy, your eyes will tend to very, very quickly just skim through from the start to the finish uh, over this repeated pattern of who was the son of who was the son of who until the subject changes. And this tends to happen when it comes to measurements as well, or, or you know, the senses, the, 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 the number of people, and, and that sort of thing. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 reminds us that even genealogies are useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so God inspired various people to record them in scripture for a reason. So today we're gonna try and dig through some of those reasons. In our scripture reading today, we skipped over the story of Cain and Abel last week. Uh, in, in Genesis chapter 4. We we skipped the second the sorry the, the last part of Genesis chapter 4 over into Genesis chapter 5. And in between this story of Cain and Abel, how Cain murders his brother and all that, there's, and chapter 5, there's this brief genealogy of Cain's descendants. But this lineage is eventually wiped out by the flood. And I don't want to spend time on that. What I want to focus on today is Genesis chapter 5. And this is the genealogy of Adam. Tracing his descendants through Seth's line, his his third son Seth, uh, his descendants all the way specifically to Noah. And so this sets up chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6, which introduces Noah, the the Ark and the flood. And so Genesis chapter 5, this genealogy tracing its way to Noah acts as an introduction of sorts. So that you know where uh, Noah comes from, what are his origins and also because mankind is eventually wiped out with the exception of Noah and his sons uh, and, and their wives. This genealogy provides the thread to trace his lineage back to Adam and God himself. So in today's sharing, our big idea today is that walking with God brings us hope amidst the certainty of death. Walking with God brings us hope amidst the certainty of death. And the first thing we can see from today's passage is that there is a cycle of birth and death. Now, In verse 1 of Genesis chapter 5, it tells us that mankind was made in God's likeness. And this likeness includes several things as we saw in earlier sermons. Uh, being a spiritual being, having the ability to choose uh, desiring community with others, and so on. But now, in verse 3, Adam has a son in his own likeness and image. So what does this mean? Well, God's likeness is also passed on, it's transferred over. But now there is something extra that comes from Adam alone, and that is sin and the curse of death. And so the, for the rest of this chapter, we see two things repeating. Firstly, the, the fruit of God's good command to multiply given before the fall. And so we see the repeating pattern of he became the father and had other sons and daughters. So being born bearing children, that's all part of the blessing of verse 2. But secondly that, that's not the only repeating pattern that we see. The second thing that we see is the curse of sin taking effect after the fall. And each person's record ends with these words and then he died. Okay so he is born uh he, he gave birth to not he gave birth uh he he, he had other sons and daughters and then uh, he, he lived all together for how many years and then he died and they all end with this phrase and then he died except for one person but we'll come to him later. So this is proof, this, this uh, constant of and then he died, this is proof of the serpent's deception in Genesis chapter 3 verse 4 when the, servant, the serpent says to Eve, you will not surely die. Well. Here is all of mankind surely dying. So, this is a reality that we all face. Death. Whether it's the death of a loved one or, or even the prospect of our own death, this is an unpleasant but certain thing that we don't like thinking about. Now, even if we're not superstitious people trying to avoid the subject of death out of fear of somehow attracting it and bringing it upon ourselves, most of us would not have spent much time thinking about our own death. Of course, there might be some of us who think too much about this subject of our own death because of depression or other negative reasons, but even if we're in a good state of our mental health, all of us need to be able to, to face the subject of our own death because we're all under the same curse that Adam and all his descendants were under and that includes us, the curse of sin that results in death. Now, Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom and we see in today's passage that each person listed has a number to their days. Uh, Granted at this particular point in Genesis chapter 5, it's a lot of days. We we don't know how these people lived so long, uh, many of them over 900 years. Uh, Some scholars believe that these names are actually the the names of tribes and so the the number of years is the total number of years that a, a tribe has lasted. You know, all the people who make up that tribe. But that doesn't seem to be consistent with the, the, the singular pronouns that are used. And also Enoch is clearly an individual. He is referred to as an individual in the New Testament. Others suggest that the, the years here are ancient mistranslations. And that actually these are lunar cycles not solar cycles, which means that they should be months and not years. And so they calculate that Methuselah, instead of being 969 years old, uh, would be aged at 969 months when he died. And so this would calculate to about 78 years, something more believable. Now The problem with this is that if you take this mistranslation of instead of years, it's actually months, uh, this means that all these people conceived their children when they were between one year to three and a half years old. Uh, not possible. So it's more likely that this passage really is talking about individuals who really did live over 900 years long. How is that possible? Well, the speculation about uh, the weather, the uh, food was different before the flood, Uh, the decaying effects of sin took some time to kick in, Uh, degeneration of our DNA code, whatever, we don't know. But what we do know is that even Methuselah, who is famous for being the, the, the longest living human being in the Bible at 969 years, even Methuselah, had to eventually face death and this cycle of birth and death and birth and death and birth and death would continue from genesis chapter 5 all the way to today and will continue until jesus comes again but i did mention earlier about how one person's record didn't end with the words and then he died and that brings us to Enoch, the anomaly. On the genealogy of Seth, Enosh, Kenan, uh, Mahalalel, Jared and Methuselah, they all follow an almost identical pattern, word for word. And it goes, when this person had lived how many years, he became the father of that person. After he became the father of that person, this person lived how many years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, this person lived a total of how many years and then he died. And so this is a consistent pattern for all these people. Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, uh, Jared, Methuselah. But if you look at Enoch, his record is very different. Out of this normalcy of birth and death, Enoch is an anomaly. He stands out. Now, verse 21 follows the same pattern okay, that he also had uh, when he was a certain age. Uh, he, he became father to uh, another person. But verse 22 is completely different. It reads... After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. So similar but different, obviously in a very different way. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Now before we look closer at Enoch, I want you to just consider this. Adam had other sons and daughters, and so did Seth. He had other sons and daughters. Enosh had other sons and daughters. Kenan had other sons and daughters, and so on. Out of all those sons and daughters, why did God choose to highlight this specific lineage that would lead up to Noah? Well, yes, it does lead up to chapter 6 and the flood. But I think there is also another purpose for this specific group of people. Uh, Two people within this lineage specifically. Uh, Coming back to Enoch, he's famously known as uh, the the one who walked with God. And Genesis chapter 6 verse 9 tells us not just Enoch but Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. The same words they are used for Enoch. And so these words, walked with God, is translated in the Septuagint. Uh, the Septuagint is the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, which was used by Jews who mainly read and spoke Greek during Jesus' time. Okay, so the, the words walked with God is translated in the Septuagint as pleased, God. So, walking with God is equivalent according to, to the, the translators of the Septuagint during Jesus' time, uh, that was used during Jesus' time. Uh, walking with God is the same as pleasing God. And so, walking with God, what does that mean? Well, it means to have communion, it means to, to have intimacy with God in thought, word and deed. and. You know, you you just think about it, if you were walking with somebody, not only would you be uh, comfortable with that person, uh, not only does it give you the image of being comfortable or being close and, and that sort of thing, but walking with someone means that you need to be moving in the same direction, or else you're not walking with them, you're walking away from them. Uh, and it also means uh, moving at the same place, or else uh, you're just walking uh, at the same time as another person but not with them. Now, although Noah walked with God, only Enoch had the privilege of being uh, the only one to not have his story end with these words and then he died. Instead, the literal Hebrew says that Enoch was not. Uh, he was not. And this doesn't mean that he was annihilated, you know, that he, he ceased to exist and he just, bam, no more Enoch. Uh, the Septuagint uh, translates it as he was translated. Uh, this, this is a older word to mean something like he was transfigured. He was changed into something else. And so what that just means is that he was no longer living a mortal life with the rest of humanity. He was changed into something else uh, who lived with God in eternity. Now, Here's where it would be useful to turn to what the rest of the Bible says about him. Uh, Enoch is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 that famous chapter on faith, and it says, By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. We can assume that Enoch's faith had quite a bit to do with God taking him away without experiencing some sort of death. Uh, The the epistle of Jude also mentions Enoch in uh, chapter 1, there's only one chapter, Uh, verses 14 to 15, which goes, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones uh, to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Let me just very quickly sidetrack here to comment on what's going on in this passage because it's quite confusing on its own. The context that that Judas is uh, writing about is he is writing against ungodly opponents church and these people were arrogant they were slanderous and verses 14 to 15 of Jude's letter is actually quite likely uh, him quoting from something known as the book of Enoch Now, some of you may be wondering how come you know I I have participated in uh, Bible reading through the Bible in one-year plans and I've never come across this book of Enoch Uh, the the book of enoch is an apocryphal writing okay uh, meaning it's an ancient writing uh, that is considered a historical document yes but it is not necessarily considered inspired by god as truth and to be included in the bible okay so it's it's like any other historical document but it is not inspired by God, it is not part of the Bible. So why did Jude include it? Uh, why, why did he quote from it uh, if it's not from the Old Testament? well, One possibility is that his opponents had something to do with the book of Enoch. You know, maybe they referred to it a lot, maybe they studied it and Jude was just using it to make a point about their ungodliness and judgment against their ungodliness. So that's one possible reason. Now the last place where Enoch is also mentioned in the Bible is Luke chapter 3, verse 37, where he is part of Jesus' genealogy, which traces all the way back to Adam. So what was it about Enoch and Noah that made them so special? How were they able to walk with God? Now, I actually think that they weren't actually very particularly special people. Uh, as uh, what, what I mean by that is that they weren't born or, or given a certain advantage that allowed them to please God more than everyone else. We know that none are spared from the curse of sin. And just as how Seth was made in the, the likeness of his father and inherited his sinful nature, which would be passed down to all his descendants, I, I think Enoch also inherited that. And so Enoch was also not spared from the curse of sin. In fact, according to verse 22, it's possible to interpret that he only started walking with God after Methuselah was born. Okay, For whatever reason... Only after Methuselah was born did he start walking with God. But I think that this episode is recorded here to bear witness to the possibility of escaping death despite the curse of sin. Of course, theologically, Enoch's salvation from sin and death is only possible by the death of Jesus on the cross. Uh, Only Jesus' sacrifice is a, a valid payment. For his sin. But what saved him was the same thing as what saves all of us, and that is faith. Faith in God. The same faith that we saw in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. Friends, we don't need to be born with some advantage or, or be some special ultra holy person in order to share the same hope of breaking the cycle of spiritual death by walking with God and remaining in close fellowship with Him through faith in Jesus Christ. All of us are given that opportunity. We don't need to be a special, super special person. Uh, Maybe we won't be taken by God before experiencing physical death like Enoch. But avoiding death is not the point of life, is it? Well, yes, we we are good stewards with our lives, so we're not reckless with our lives when we don't just throw it away. Uh, we work from home, we observe SOPs during this season of pandemic. When the vaccine becomes available, we, we take it as well so that we protect ourselves and also protect others. But avoiding death is not the only point of life. Living is the point Of life, and specifically in this order that God has created for all of mankind, living in right relationship with God is the point of life. And the only way to live well in this world that God has created is to walk with Him, as Enoch and Noah did. Let's move on to my third point on passing on the faith. Now I'm going to creep. Into uh, Genesis chapter six a bit here, where sin has corrupted the world so much that there is great wickedness in the world, and uh, to the point where where uh, Genesis chapter six says every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time, and so at this point God was already going to bring judgment by wiping out all the humans together with. Animals, birds, and creatures that move along the ground. But in the midst of mankind's wickedness, Genesis chapter 6 verse 8 tells us that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, coming back to our genealogy in chapter 5, this whole genealogy of Adam through uh, Noah and his sons spans a period of 1,556 years. Okay, if you add up all their uh, the ages and what, what year they, they, gave, uh, they fathered who and whatever. Uh, the whole period of this genealogy is 1,556 years. Last week we saw how Cain, uh, one of Adam's sons, was a murderer. In his genealogy, there's another murderer, also happens to be named Lamech, uh, and so we can assume That throughout this 1,556 years of Genesis chapter 5, this wickedness that is mentioned in the beginning of uh, Genesis chapter 6 is already there. Sin has been wreaking havoc since the fall in Genesis chapter 3. But this particular lineage from Seth produces two men, at least two men, who walked with God. We don't know the, uh, what the faith or righteousness of the others in this lineage are like. Uh, Enosh, Kenan, uh, Mahalalel, Jared, Methuselah, Lamech, the many, many, many unnamed other sons and daughters. We don't know what their faith and righteousness is like. But it is quite possible that Enoch and Noah didn't magically come to know God and, and know how to walk with him by themselves very likely they were taught in some way. Genesis chapter 4, verse 26 does mention after Seth's birth that at that time, people began to call on or proclaim the name of the Lord. So it is possible that Seth's descendants were some of these people who called on or proclaimed the name of the Lord. Another factor here is Adam and Eve, the original sinners. I want you to think about something here, out of all of humanity, they were the only ones to really know what life was like before sin. Before sin came and utterly corrupted and distorted and destroyed the entire world. They are the only ones who knew the difference before and after sin. They had experienced unobstructed fellowship with God. They knew what paradise truly was. And at the same time, they knew how sin, which they had brought into the world, was responsible for ruining all of that. Now, you put yourself in their shoes. You've seen for yourself how deadly sin is, how dangerous it is. And how valuable being in fellowship with God is, you know that firsthand. What would you teach your children? What would you teach your grandchildren? What would you teach your great-grandchildren? Would you tell them, you see for yourself, uh, you, you try disobeying God and see what happens. Uh, would you tell them, you you, you, you are your own individual, you can decide to know God for yourself when you are old enough. Uh, then you, you see whether you want to follow him or not. I, I, I don't think so. If you really knew what Sim was capable of, and you knew what, what true fellowship with God was like, your constant message to all those that you care about would probably be something like, listen to me, I know what things were like. It doesn't have to be this way. Call upon the name of the Lord. Maybe you are the offspring who is able to, who, who will be the one to crush the head of the serpent who deceived us. Call upon the name of the Lord. By the way, if you do some math, you can calculate that Adam lived through nine generations, all the way until Lamech. Okay, to get that, you, you basically just add up the ages of all of Adam's descendants when their son was born. Okay, so you, you add, 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 add Adam would have been 874 years old when Lamech, his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson was born. Uh, Adam would have been alive the same time as Lamech for 56 years so Adam and Eve would have had 800 years after Seth was born to pass on this knowledge of God and the the danger of sin and the hope for redemption to his descendants now you might say that this is all conjecture uh, that none of this is explicitly mentioned in the Bible and I'll admit it is entirely possible That Adam and Eve were unrepentant. They didn't pass on what they knew. Uh, Enoch and Noah came to know God on their own somehow. But that doesn't negate the point here. And that is that all of us are in a position to pass our faith on to the next generation. It's not just the pastors, not just the teachers, not just the parents, but all of us can influence the next generation, whether with our words or with our actions. In fact, I would say that when it comes to the younger generation, actions are always more convincing than words. Some of my earliest memories of faith formation uh, back when I was still not yet a Christian or a young Christian involve observing older people. Now not in a classroom setting or or not necessarily even in a church setting. Sometimes it was just observing other people, especially those who are older, watching how they interact with the waiter at a restaurant or, or seeing how they re- responded to the socially awkward or eccentric characters around us. And I, I would either learn from their example to be more like them or I would learn from their example to not be like them. So friends, what sort of example do you want to be? I guarantee you that whether you like it or not, you are some sort of example to someone else and walking with God in faith will be setting the better sort of example for the next generation to follow. In conclusion, I'd like to close with Micah 6, verse 8, which says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so friends, this is my prayer for all of you. May your life be filled with hope and a faith worth passing on as you walk humbly with your God. And so may we know that walking with God through faith in Jesus brings us hope amidst the certainty of death. May we be the right sort of example for those who follow after us and do walk humbly with your God. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The following questions are for you to discuss in your groups, your families or for your own reflection. The first question, Have you ever thought about your own death? What emotions do you feel when you do? If you've never thought about your own death and you do think about it now, what? pay attention, what sort of emotions arise within you? Second question, Will you describe yourself as walking with God? Why or why not? And thirdly, what is one practical thing that you can do to pass on your faith to the next generation? One thing. Alright, I leave these questions for you to discuss and to reflect over the week.